this is fantastic. This song makes me ecstatically happy. I can tell you how happy the song makes me. Um, this is a, a group called um, uh, Sisters Underground. This is a song called In the Neighborhood. And they were, they get back to like the early 90s. I think this, this song came out in 94. Uh, but they're hip hop. Uh, Maori uh, hip hop band from Auckland, New Zealand. And I thought that'd be kind of cool to start with uh, for a couple reasons. One, it's just a cool, easy, enjoyable song. It's got such great kind of swagger and sway to it. Um, and, you know, I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about my time in New Zealand so that you didn't get to go on. Thank you. But, um, but more importantly, one thing I really like about New Zealand, New Zealand and the culture of New Zealand is this uh, connection to the Maori ancestry. So you have people that are, um, you know, of Maori, well, Westerners or, or you know, Anglo-Saxon origin, white people uh, that have embraced in many ways Maori connection. So in the town of Blenheim, which is the capital of Marlborough, from the main town of Marlborough, New Zealand, all the signs are bilingual. So they're written in Maori and they're written in English as well. It's just, to me, it's incredible. We're having some technical difficulties, as, uh, as Manny always wants to do. He's out in the park right now, and a tractor just came by and made some noise. But, you know, that, that's okay. That gives me time to introduce us before he comes back. I'm Adam. He's Manny. This is Bottle of the Bottle. Uh, you know, as we, we explore the world of wine, one bottle each at a time, or so two bottles at a time. And uh, we're doing New Zealand today. Manny, you're back. The tractor seems to have passed you by. Continue. Yeah, he's uh, speeding down this little dirt path, um, just kind of doing rounds, apparently. But uh, it is a beautiful day out here in Massachusetts, and um, I really wanted to be outside. So I don't care if it's gonna, there's going to be technical disruptions. Um, it's just enjoyable and kind of, I don't know, the, the atmosphere today reminds me very much of the climate in New Zealand. So welcome everybody. I'm happy to be sitting outside drinking wine. Look, look at that segue. <laughs> we, we took the tractor coming by causing lots of noise and transitioned it somehow into the climate of New Zealand. That just, yeah, we're, we're clearly getting better at this. <laughs> That's what that is. You know, that was a big market transition right there, Manny. I'm proud of you. Yeah, you know, it's you learn something over the the course of months doing this, and that's, that's what I learned. Um, not this is going to be difficult. You're going to have to do most of the talking because my wine is ridiculous, and I'm going to be drinking too much to talk. So I'm just going to put that out there right now. Um, this thing is bomb. Yeah. So well, well, hold on a second because you chose New Zealand, so mm -hmm. you got a start. I think that's only fair. While you have a mouthful of wine, really. All right, so that's fine. Um, so you all know what I'm drinking right after I call it bomb, which is a, you know, clearly a wine-centric term used to describe reds all the time. I am drinking Craggy Range, which is a really cool winery. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit in, in New Zealand. Uh, I'm drinking their Sophia Bordeaux blend from Hawke's Bay. Gimlet Gravels, to be more specific, and it's ridiculous. Uh, Manny had guessed correctly that I was going to try to pull the same wineries. Chardonnay, which is very kind of Chablis-esque, we're out of it. So, what are you going to do? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a common scenario that Adam and I talk about um, almost daily. Uh, the ability to get product right now is so challenging. And I think it actually ties in in some ways to, to New Zealand because there is, and one reason why we don't have, well, a lot of reasons why we don't have Sauvignon Blanc, but I think it is appropriate we don't have Sauvignon Blanc because it's us and we're weird. But also there is a huge shortage of Sauvignon Blanc coming up soon. Um, and it's not that they weren't able necessarily to, to make it um, in New Zealand, you know, through, through the pandemic, but the uh, shipping is an absolute nightmare. And so your favorite, you know, Marlboro Sauvignon Blanc, drink it now because come December, January, it's going to be much, much harder to find. And even these smaller wines and smaller uh, wineries that we have today 
are also going to be a little more challenging to find as the big kind of more bulk producers get gobbled up. People are going to start transitioning to some of these smaller, more boutique esoteric wineries. And not to mention, you know, is we're kind of letting you peek behind the curtain and see the uh, supply chain right now. But smaller producers need to get their product off the island, mm -hmm. which means smaller producers can't always fill a shipping container on their own. So they piggyback on, you know, various other orders to get over to the United States. And if these big guys don't have wine, there's no one to piggyback on. So it just, there's this trickle down effect and it's really complicated. And that's pretty much all the time we're going to spend on it. Cause we could do the entire hour on supply chain issues, specifically with New Zealand and no one wants to hear what, I mean, you've probably already turned the, you know, the seven of you who listen are probably already gone. So I'm curious, why did you, why did you pick New Zealand? Because it gives me the opportunity um, to, yeah, let's let's be honest. It gives me the opportunity to kind of make fun of Napa. <laughs> I love making fun of Napa as much as I love the wines. Uh, that's not the only reason. I love I love New Zealand wines. Um, but New Zealand, we have this idea of New Zealand because of Sauvignon Blanc that we were just talking about as this mass production country because there's so much New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc throughout the United States. It's one of the most popular wines we drink. If you follow wine business, you'll see that New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc is consistently, you know, on this upward trajectory. P people love it. But in reality, New Zealand isn't big. Uh, they're responsible, and this might be a little outdated because my, my World Atlas of Wine is about 10 years old, but they're only responsible for, let's call it half of 1% of the world's wine production. So even if they've done more, it's, it's less than a percentage point for all intents and purposes. Um, and New Zealand, as far as, you know, acreage goes, is about the size of Napa. So it, it's, a, you know, we think of Napa as this small boutique-y uh, area, which it is, don't get me wrong, it is but that's the country of New Zealand. So even though we have the, um, this kind of rich, um, this rich variety of Sauvignon Blanc coming out of Marlboro uh, in particular that we know and we love and we can find everywhere, uh, in production wise, it's more on par with Napa than it is with Bordeaux or some of these other regions that we've talked about. And I think that's kind of a cool place to start. Yeah, and, and I think I had found out um, actually probably 20 minutes ago, that although it is, I think, in ranking of um, wine, overall wine production, it's like 27th or something like that in the world, which you, know, you think of how many countries you actually see on the shelf when you're going to a wine store, that means that uh, countries like Chile or, or Georgia, which you never see in, in a wine store, are making more wine than New Zealand is. Um, and yet you see this huge shelf of typically Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand. But it also is, when it comes to actual dollars being sold, it ranks up right around the United States. For, so when you think about, you know, Napa is only 5% of, Calif of California's wine production, I think, or the United States wine production. Um, but you have all these other areas in California, Santa Barbara, I mean, the Central Valley, Lodi, it's like a wine ocean there. The amount of wine they produce is, is incredible. But um, what they are producing in terms of overall production is much, much larger than New Zealand, which is kind of like a thumbnail next to a giant. But when it comes to the dollars sold, New Zealand ranks up with the biggest wine producing countries in the world. Because even though that, that $12 Sauvignon Blanc might be kind of the entry level or $9 Sauvignon Blanc might be kind of your starting point. Uh, we might think of it as more of like a bulk wine production. California, France, Spain, um, Italy, their introduction, introduction to wines are usually big giant jug wines um, that they produce a lot of. So the fact that New Zealand with such a small amount of wine produced can 
produce so much in dollars is incredible. And I think it's a testament to, to this awesome little country. What is, and, I, and I'm asking this rhetorically because I, I doubt you would know the answer, and I certainly don't. What is New Zealand's Franzia? And I, I don't mean that as a knock on Franzia. You know, what is their Palmasan? What is their Pydoc? You know, from France, we want to relate it to, to them. What is their, you know, what's their jug wine for all intents and purposes? They, you know, they don't really have one. I'm sure they do. Maybe it doesn't get exported or, or, or whatnot, but it's not, there's not that base with them. They do kind of start at that, you know, that, that next level. And part of it is just because, I mean, again, I compare it to Napa. You know, what's Napa's Franzio? You know, it, it, there's there's a lot of different reasons why they started a higher spot. And New Zealand is the same way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but in terms of winemaking, it's obviously it's a, it's a new world wine, but it is in many ways the most new world wine country um where in the americas you know in argentina and chile we were talking about the 15th 16th century when they started planting grapes um south africa was right around the same time you know california was in the early 18th century the first vines that were planted in um new zealand just outside of auckland an area called uh waitangi was planted in 1817 by a missionary and it was basically just sacramental wine um, the first main winery wasn't built until 1851, uh, actually in uh, not far from Hawke's Bay, which I think your wine is from that area, right? Uh, and it was, it's a different winery now, but at the time it was called Mission Estate, or Mission Estate I think. Um, the vines were first planted by, for a serious winemaker, planted by the guy named James uh, Bisbee, who was the, um, he was the, person who started planting varietals in Australia. But in terms of the actual land masses in New Zealand, they are quite new. Um, the base of New Zealand was created, you know, through the supercontinent. It was called uh, Guandana land. And this is where at a point when Antarctica and Australia broke off from kind of the northern part, which created, you know, Australia that we have today in, in Antarctica. And at that point, New Zealand broke off, went into the water, um, and over the series of several million years kind of developed what we have today. But a lot of the, it's an extremely fertile area, um, which you usually find from younger soils, with the exception of wine growing regions. Because once again, if you can plant anything to sustain yourself it's not going to be grapes to make wine it's going to be you know vegetables and, and and fruits that can grow but in all these wine regions the the soil was less fertile um it's a little more challenging to grow uh, grow vegetables and whatever uh produce and so they started growing grapes you know at that point but it wasn't until the 19th century um you know and they had their it, they had phylloxera as well. But what they did, instead of grafting onto uh, the American rootstocks, they just started growing the uh, Vitis Labrusca, the, the American varietals or hybrids. Um, and it wasn't until the early 20th century when they started doing grafting. They had their own temperance movement in New Zealand. From 1894 to 1908, um, Full prohibition had never happened, but there were a lot of dry communities throughout New Zealand. And in 1919, they actually voted the same year or the year before we did the Volstead Act in the United States, they voted uh, for prohibition and they lost by 0.3%. It was 49.7% to 50.3%. And so they decided, okay, well, let's just wait and see what happens in the United States. And then they realized, well, it was an epic failure, um, you know, prohibition. So maybe we're not going to go that go that route. But serious winemaking that we have today, and I think Sauvignon Blanc wasn't even on the scene in New Zealand until I think the first serious Sauvignon Blanc was created in 1973. Um, before that, it was like the most popular grapes were Muller Turgal and Chenin Blanc. And when was the last time anybody went anywhere asking for Muller Turgal? Or even Chenin Blanc, because when they say Chenin Blanc, it's usually Vouvray or, you know, Sauvignon. It's, it's like one of the Loire 
regions. Uh, whenever the last time you went out to dinner, the last time someone asked for a mula turga when they were going out, don't don't kid yourself. You would do that. <laughs> yeah, I would. That's what I, so stop. <laughs> it, it, it's so it's so interesting though. Even with the soil, just to kind of piggyback on this, as far as the climate goes, New Zealand gets tons of sunshine, and the so the soils where the grapes are grown are poorer than the other spots, but they're not necessarily poor by what the kind of the definition we've been talking about previous. Um, get a little geeky right now, canopy management. So when the, the vine, the grapevine has green, has, has leaves too, right? And they're really important. They, one, this is how photosynthesis occurs through the, through the leaves, but also it provides shade. There's a lot of other things that go on there. Well, with all this sunlight in, in New Zealand and with these richer soils, you're getting a ludicrous amount of leafy greens off your, off your grapevines. And you really need to be dedicated to figuring out, okay, where I am with the climate I have, I have to trim back these these vines constantly and keep a certain level of canopy management. Again, we're you know we're pulling the curtain back and letting you into the the not so romantic part of, of growing grapes, but it, it's true. If you just let them go, there'd be so much green you probably wouldn't get um, fully ripened grapes because they'd be shading everything and we wouldn't have that sunshine and, and so on. It's a it's a really interesting place in the world to 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 grow wine to make wine. Yeah, and you know, beyond the sunshine too, it's it you know it's surrounded by water, and so for the most part throughout the entire North and South Island, you have a um, more moderate climate because that ocean is regulating the temperature constantly. So it never gets too too hot. It never gets too too cold until you're in like in the South Island. There's um, it's what they call the um, like in the United States, we would call it the Southern Alps, but um, there it's called Kateriteri Otomoana, um, which makes me think of obviously Moana, and uh, it's a beautiful movie. But you know, this mountain range, and this is what Maori called it, um, creates a rain shadow. So in places like Marble, for example, um, there's a valley where, where my wine comes from. I'm drinking, I haven't talked about it yet, I'm drinking Spy Valley. Pinot Noir. This is a single estate Pinot Noir, so it's all it's two single vineyards. Um, but this comes from an area called the um, the Wairua Valley, and that basically meant uh, hole in this hole in the clouds, because you have all these mountains around it um, that actually protect from they, just various rain shadows throughout. So you get a ton of sunshine. So it's kind of almost it's similar actually to Alsace, where Alsace is, you know, the driest area in France, um, but it's really high north, it's close to Germany, uh, but you have the Vosges Mountains that create that rain shadow. So, and you get all the sunshine, so you get ripe phenolics in the grape, you get, uh, you get kind of a richer, more aromatic style of wine, but you maintain acidity because it's a cooler climate. And I think that's one reason why wines from New Zealand are so popular because even, you know, going back to, to Sauvignon Blanc, it's a very simple grape to understand from New Zealand because it is, the, the aromas are very direct. And when you're learning about wine, you know, we'll talk about like gooseberry and kumquat and, you know, all these different aromas. Um, you know, my wine might smell a bit like forest floor and all these little nuances. When you're just learning, it doesn't make any sense. You don't always smell that. But if you smell it in Marlboro Sauvignon Blanc, you smell grapefruit, you and Sauvignon Blanc in general, but particularly in New Zealand and Marlboro. Um, but you also have a lot of acidity. I mean, the wines are super vibrant. And to my knowledge, producers don't, another geeky science saying, they don't acidify the wine. They don't add chemicals in to make give the wines more acid like they do in Napa Valley, just to type back. It, it always heads back. To Napa, I, I have to say, as a total aside, I'm proud of you. I thought for a moment there, when when Moana came up, you were just going to burst into song. 
and and you didn't. And I'm I'm proud and also disappointed. Well, I, I will tell you a story though, because uh, the character in the demigod Maui um, is not just a stereotype of a Polynesian demigod. Um, he was also really important to the Maori people. I told the story about Gwandalan and, and the supercontinent and New Zealand breaking off. The traditional story is that Maui was one day fishing, or actually his brothers, his four brothers were going fishing and Maui wanted to go fishing, uh, but his brothers didn't invite him. And so he snuck onto the boat when he found out, he hid under some seats in the boat. He came out with his hook from the movie and uh, cast it in the water and pulled out a giant fish. And that giant fish is what they call the North Island of New Zealand. Um, and even if you look at it on the map, although it looks, New Zealand looks a little bit like Italy upside down with a break in the middle, um, right around Wellington is kind of the eye of the fish and Auckland is the tail and the South Island is his canoe. That's, that's, the, that's the, the folkloric story. So when The Rock sings you're welcome, we should actually be thanking him. Yeah. yeah. But this, is, this is fair. And again, I'm disappointed because that was the perfect opportunity for you to break out into you're welcome and, and you did not. But it's, you know, it's, we'd, be, we'd be here all day. I mean, we could do the entire Moana soundtrack well, in front the, of you right the now. Last, the last song she sang to, to, uh, to Fiti, um, that they, if I even think about that, I actually am going to start tearing up. That song makes me, you were talking about the, the song with her grandmother. Yep. Uh, that last song to me is one of the most amazing, like powerful, like just <clears throat> like I become butter. Okay, we're, we're totally sidetracked right now. I think it's not my favorite because I'm a geek. Um, but the, and I, I'm a Disney nerd, but the, I don't, it's not their most acclaimed. It might not be my favorite. That's the best movie they've made in arguably animated movie they've made in the last, maybe ever. I, I, would, say, I would say it's the best movie ever. You I know, mean, um, hands down the best movie. As, as far as storytelling and, you know, uh, storytelling, music, just how, how the voice actors and what they do, the movie is just, uh, it's a masterwork of, of, of animation. And um, enough to the point where we're talking about wine and my wine is amazing. And I'm, you know, sidetracking to tell you that talking about a I love Moana. So... <laughs> There you go. Total side point. Yeah, but I mean that 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 character and the characterization of, of Maui um, is a vital part to the Maori influence. And like a lot of these regions or or these subregions, like that mountain range, Kateriteri Otedbuana. You know that that's that's what people call it. Um, people call it the Wairoa Valley or the um, Owatari Valley um, in general, just because that is the legacy. That's the history that. You know the the Europeans had finally adopted, um, and you you know you kind of get that I think with the wines as well that there is this and it ties back to the song. There is they are complex, but there is also an ease and um, a really fun finesse to the wines, and I think it all ties back into the into the culture. I'm babbling now because we talked about Moana. Um, totally okay. It's our podcast. We can do what we want. And, uh, <laughs> So, tell us a little bit about um, about your wine, um, sure, and, and like where it comes from and and all that all that jazz. So, I am on the North Island with my wine, and I believe you're on the South. I, I was half paying attention. I Spy Valley is a is a Southern Island. Um, winery, so I'm assuming that that's where that comes from. Um, yeah, but yeah, I'm on I'm on the North Island with 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 Craggy Range, and Craggy Range is this really cool project where essentially all they're doing is making single vineyard 
expressions from places that they think is the coolest spot to grow a particular grape. I have a blend right now in that particular region. So I am in Hawke's Bay. Hawke's Bay is the second largest of the growing regions in New Zealand proper, um, which makes it the largest on the North Island. Uh, and to give you an idea, though, of the size, uh, we're only about 11,000 acres under vine in Hawke's Bay. Um, really, really tiny for all intents and purposes. And we're only talking about, as of 2010, 25-ish producers making wine. Uh, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's, oh, excuse me. That's in Gimlet Gravels, which is the sub-appellation for which I am working with the 25 producers. Um, and I really want to talk about Gimlet Gravels. Um, so again, Hawke's Bay, North Island, uh, it's more known for, unlike we were talking about Sauvignon Blanc and uh, Chardonnay briefly before, uh, Hawke's Bay is more known for Syrah and for Bordelais varietals. So Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cab Franc, et, et, et cetera. Um, not as much Cabernet Sauvignon per se. Uh, New Zealand did have its Parker moment in the 1980s where everyone wanted to plant Cab Sauv and, and just capitalize on that, but it just, it's not, it doesn't do as, as well there as, you know, some other varietals. So the Sophia that I'm drinking is actually, uh, it's a preponderance of Merlot. It's about 73% Merlot, 14 Cab, and the rest is, uh, is, is Cabernet Franc. But back to, to Gimlet Gravels, because I think this is, this is cool and I want to go into this. The New World, the Appalachian system of the New World is very different from the Appalachian system of the old. We don't regulate in the same ways. When we're talking about Burgundy or Champagne, it's, I mean, a free market economist must lose their minds when they see the restrictions that are on some of these, you know, in, in these growing regions. You're there, it's yields, yield is limited, planting density is limited, you know, sometimes when you can harvest is limited, the sugar level in the grape is limited, you know, the oak treatment you use, whether or not, you know, whether you can do it or not, there's all these things that are how much time it has to spend in bottle before you release it, all these crazy things. In the new world, we have some, but in general, the, the rules are, hey, look, it's got to come, a, 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 the biggest percentage has to come from the area you're saying it's coming from. And then depending on the grape that you're using there, there are specific rules. You know, just to relate to Napa, you know, Napa you have to be, or California in general, you have to be 75% of what you say you are, right? Um, but that other 25% can be whatever you want it to be. And, you know, if you wanted to make a blend, you could still call it Napa or whatnot. You just couldn't call it, you know, Cab per se or whatnot. Um, Hawks Bay, given the gravels, um, is a similar uh, in, in what they do. The, there's actually no rules pertaining to the grapes, the blends, and, and so on. There's just two that you have to follow to label yourself Gimlet Gravels. One, 95% of the grapes you're using have to come from the region of Gimlet Gravels, and you have to be able to prove that. And then beyond that, two, you need to prove that that what you're taking um, reflects the soils that they say, you know, are Gimlet gravels. So there are a couple spots that might, you know, just have sand or just might have clay or whatnot, which don't fit the mold. Um, and those wouldn't count, but the, it's the soil is what they're kind of looking at. And beyond that, you have free range to, to, to do what you want. So it's this really interesting area in, in, in that sense. Is it, it's not right or wrong or, or whatnot. It's just a different way of, of kind of looking at an appellation, what it's important to the appellation and, and what it means. So you can get really cool Syrah from, from this region, or you can get a really cool right bank Bordeaux blend, which is, you know, what I'm drinking right now. That's awesome. I hope that uh, my moving around and shifting around isn't, uh, 
isn't distracting you at all. I wasn't prepared to talk for that long. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I did what I could. Well, so just so everyone knows where I'm at, there's like a, this like a little park area and there's a path. I chose that spot because um, the tractors were moving were further away earlier and there was nobody here, but that's because I got here at 1030. And now it's getting to that time when people are starting to walk around, walk their dogs, and everyone and their mother is here. So, uh, so I had to move a little bit. Um, just so is, I started hearing their conversations and not listening to you. Is, is my mom there? If my mom's there, then she's listening in advance, and the whole town is like, it's a hit on whatever application. So we have to know to stop. Um, how did it get how did it, Gimlet Gravels is such a weird name. How did it how did it get its name? So it's a it's a cool story. Um I am not going to try to pronounce the name. Do it, do it. Uh, no, uh, just please. So it's basically it starts with an N and a G, and then it's a bunch of vowels and as. And, and we know that I can't say as and like it's it's again, yeah. I'm yeah, let me find it so that I can butcher it properly for all of you. Right, so it's spelt N-G-A-I-U-R-O-R-O. Nauru, Nauru? I'm just, no, I'm just not going there. <laughs> We're not doing it. I can't do it. I know who I am. I'm limited in this capacity. Maori pronunciations are going to Manny. That's what we're doing. Uh, but, <laughs> but basically, um, this this river um, had you know had had a flood and de you know deposited um, when it flooded. It, you know, created this alluvial deposit basically in the area that is now Gimlet Gravels, um, and the particular rock that is found, uh, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, I, uh, gray whack, but it is a dark sandstone that has a lot of other, um, you know, there's some clay there as well and so on, but it's the sandstone that really creates the effect and makes these really mineral focused, focused mineral driven wines. And it's unique because of that flooding of that river and what happened um, to the, even the rest of Hawks Bay. So it's this cool, yeah, but it's like the, like anything else, you know, this, this rivers, you know, we talked about Argentina last week. It's the river wash and the wash from the mountains, you know, coming down into the, the alluvial cones and so on. Um, we talk about the river banks when we're talking about France, it's all the same type of things, just it's happening in New Zealand. So, yeah, I think, I think it's called, uh, gray wacky. Gray wacky. I like Thank that you. better. Actually, the because there's a winery called called Grey Wacky. Mm. Personally, my wine. So this is I'm drinking Spy Valley uh, Pinot Pinot Noir from um, Marlboro, and um, the uh, so the kind of the backstory in this winery. Uh, it started as Johnson Family Estates in the '90s when um, Mr. Johnson died. I can't remember his first name. Uh, his daughter Amanda took over the winery um and in the same area where the where the winery is located there are these two giant balls um that's right balls uh they're there's actually ball satellites and this is what the nsa uses to spy on people and apparently i didn't know this you can actually see this and you can google spy valley satellite <laughs> and you will see these satellites they're two big giant huge white balls like golf balls and um but apparently they deflate i didn't know that that sometimes they go down sometimes they come up um to make so many jokes about that that i just won't do but uh this is they thought it was so funny they decided to actually change the name of the winery from Je uh, johnson family estates to spy valley because people in the area call it the valley of the spies um and this is actually pretty close to where the where the winery is located my wine is from marlboro um, it's a family-run winery. Uh, Amanda has a great team with her. She's actually, honestly, one of the nice people I've ever got, had the chance to meet my entire life. Um, and their Pinot Noir is made by this winemaker by the name of Rochelle, who just left Spy Valley to go to Greywacky, but um, 
She specialized in non-aromatic white wines like Chardonnay and also uh, Pinot Noir, Syrah, and Merlot. Um, but what I really love about the winery, on the label, <laughs> you'll see a series of dots. And those dots are basically, it's Morse code for Spy Valley. Um, so it's mostly whole cluster. So you're basically putting in whole bunches of fruit. Uh, we're 11 months in French oak and it's from two small vineyards, one called Outpost, which is a super high, uber steep uh, vineyard um, with mostly like uh, clay, loam, silt, and then some uh, glacial gravel soils. And then uh, another vineyard called uh, Johnson Vineyard, but both high elevation, they get a ton of sunshine um, when it does rain, which doesn't happen often. That water just goes right down to the bottom of the slope and it creates grapes that have a ton of extraction to them but it's a cooler climate um the growing season is a little longer the wines become a little more perfumed but there is just some real beautiful acidity and freshness to the wine with that super awesome fruit and a little truffly too spy valley makes great wine yeah yeah um they they make an awesome shard as well uh it's funny when when i was there so we started in new zealand we went to the central otago which we haven't even talked about yet but um that was really the area that i wanted to go to because that's like where they film lord of the rings in fact when you fly into queenstown um at the airport there is a giant mountain range and those mountains are the same mountains of mordor and the lord of the rings that wasn't built it, you have to go to some special place, you like fly into the airport, and there it is. Um, and I wasn't expecting a lot from Marlboro because I always just think of Sauvignon Blanc, you know, and and um, these guys are loud walking behind me. But uh, they, I just think of Sauvignon Blanc, and I think of kind of like, you know, how much of this can I drink on a trip? There are some great producers, and actually their Sauvignon Blanc, <clears throat> labeled Spy Valley, is awesome. that They do oak fermentation. All their wines are natural fermentation, and that oak really helps kind of curb some of the acidity and the sweetness uh, that you naturally get from the wines and, and gives it much more, much, much more complexity. Uh, and I would put that wine up against any, any Sauv Blanc in that kind of $17, $18 price point. And it, it is on par, blows it away. But I wasn't excited about Sauv Blanc and, and drinking Sauv Blanc all, all week. Um, but I met the family, the people, they were really the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life. Um, and what I really fell in love with was the Chardonnay that Rochelle made and the Pinot Noir. And to me, they are, they have the fruit of California. They're like that song. There's just this really cool vibe to the, to the wine, but there's also complexity. And this wine is 2016 Southern Hemisphere. Um, big producers of California right now are releasing 2019. You know, we'll see 2020 California Pinots soon for high-end products. Um, this is a wine that has five years of age to it, going on six years now. And the wine is still fresh, it's still vibrant, and it's starting, because it's screw cap, uh, that really protects it. It's starting to develop those secondary aromas, that truffle, a little bit of mushroom, but maintaining that really nice fruit to it. Structure is so, it's the great equalizer. If, if you have the acid, if you have, you know, well-integrated tannin and you have the right level of, uh, of alcohol without being too extracted and whatnot, the wine will go. It, it's, you know, we think of, of cab and shot and the other things, you know, being the, the age where the, wines but wine with the right structure will will go it's insane. we were there we had, works. We, yeah, we had Riesling from the early 2000s and Gewurztraminer from the early 2000s that were still fresh bright super high acid you know um, but the fruit stayed and sometimes the fruit's the first thing to kind of disappear the fruit was there but it started developing all these other aromas you know um and it's that climate um one area that we don't we don't have with us unfortunately but it's a, a region called the central otago which is the southernmost 
wine or one of the southernmost wine grown regions of the world. It's the only area in New Zealand because it's surrounded by mountains that has a full continental climate. So the summers there get a little warmer. Uh, the winters get a little colder. You get warm, sunny days, but really chilly, chilly nights. Um, I know that firsthand because I got to go there. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> so okay. I just, just want to say, I want to say why, why do I always bring this up um, that I got to go to New Zealand and, and Adam didn't, and I always thank Adam. Thank you. Um, because Adam, for a short time, after he won this trip, left our company to go do something else. And I was uh, third place, and there was a top two salespeople that got to go. And so by default, I got to go to New Zealand. And um, I was, uh, yeah, I was really happy about that. <laughs> I tried, on the way down, I tried watching The Lord of the Rings on the flight to prepare myself. <laughs> and then I started watching it, and I was like, you know what? This is a really stupid movie. And uh, watch something else. <laughs> How dare you, sir? The books were amazing. The movies, okay. not so much. Um, but, you know, the wines in the Central Otago are, are awesome. And we had, you know, once again, wines from the, and all in screw cap, wines from the um, early 2000s, late 90s, that were absolutely spot on, fantastic. They still had time. Um, we had up until recently a, a Riesling from one producer from the Central Otago, and it was a 2014 vintage. And an account was like, ah, it's going to be too old. It's Riesling. It's New World. This is going to be too old. I'm like, I actually, we couldn't pull samples of it, so I actually bought a bottle um, just to show it. And he ended up taking 19 cases of it because the wine was just like incredible, like just bright, vibrant, but, you know, Riesling is one of those grapes that starts to really develop these beautiful um, earthy notes and becomes really nutty and petrol. But the wines in general, I find in New Zealand, when you when you let them age, they start to develop that and they're, they're really expressive and awesome, awesome wines and awesome, beautiful people. It's a great region in the world. It, it's, and I'm, I'm not, Trying to, we weren't trying to disparage New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc by not having one because there's a place for it. It, it. it is tasty. People love it for a reason, right? But there's so much more to New Zealand's wine than than just Sauvignon Blanc, and we've only really kind of scratched the surface with it. But it's 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 this rich, complex, varied, cool place like. Everywhere else in the world, the grows wine. It's there's there's so much more to, to what they do, and again, most people because they you know they only see Marlborough or they only know Sauvignon Blanc might not look for Riesling, might not look for the the Bordeaux blend, might not look for the Pinot and so on. But they're they're there, they're out there, they're tasty. And the, the other thing too. And we talked about this last week or maybe the time before, you know, if you have someone you trust at the store that you go to, but even beyond that, if you trust the shop and they have a, a New Zealand Riesling or a New Zealand Pinot Noir or something like Sophia Bordeaux blend, those aren't common. It's probably there for a reason. There's probably something good about it. So grab it, try it. You're going to be pleasantly surprised. They're really yeah. good. Or if you see... Um, if you do see Spy Valley Sauvignon Blanc or you do see Craggy Range Sauvignon Blanc from Martinborough, mm. uh, those wines are awesome. I would say, honestly, Craggy Range, I would probably drink over Sancerre. Because to me, it's more like Sancerre 20 years ago than Sancerre is today. Because today, Sancerre is a little bit more like New Zealand Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc. You know, because once again, wine is a business and it's romantic and, and you know, stories and, you know, it can be hoity-toity, whatever. But at the end of the day, producers in France are like, how come no one's paying $25, $30 for our Sancerre Sauvignon Blanc while people are buying higher-end Sauvignon Blancs from New Zealand now? 
because they're used to that $12, $15 that they can count on. Well, if I really like this $12 wine, let me get this one that's 22 23 Let me try that. Oh, wow, this is incredible. So maybe that's a once a week, once every couple of weeks kind of wine rather than the everyday wine. And winemakers in France recognize that. And I think I've had long conversations with other um, wine geeks about Sancerre and how it just doesn't, you know, climate change is, is a, a thing, but so is, you know, the sea change of, of business. And because Sauvignon Blanc has become, from New Zealand has become such a power, uh, people from France are changing how they make wine um, a lot. And it's just, I would rather have Craggy Range, Sauv Blanc, or Spy Valley Sauv Blanc any day of the week. We worked so hard to repair the damage with the French government from from you saying that the British were responsible for traditional method, you know, whatever it was four months ago. So hard to get them to forgive you for that. Well, and you you've just taken that and you just you crumbled all that hard work. They didn't create the traditional method of sparkling wine, but they were an instrumental part of it. Um, much like Lemu, which I hear was the original champagne. That don't, get, don't get a sidetrack there. Campaign from way back. That'd be a cool slogan. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. What else can we say about about New Zealand? Um, I mean, kind of to recap. I mean, it's it is very in in many ways the real new world. You know, um, it is a beautiful place. It, they are beautiful people, and they make beautiful wines. Um, and uh, and Maui is, you know, a big part of that, the history of, uh, of the Maori people and and uh, folkloric history stuff is kind of awesome. He lassoed the sun. He lassoed the right. He lassoed the sun. Uh, I forget the line after that. I was going to keep going, but now, but I, I've gotten stage fright and I've forgotten. <laughs> in my head I'm starting to in my head I'm starting to, to sing there so where um, where should we go to next well I have an idea but I don't know how you're going to feel about it are you thinking are you thinking Japan <laughs> you'd be really excited if we went to Japan <laughs> <laughs> I picked this one is that where you want to go you want to do sake no no what were, were, were we, we going to say I was going to say, at some point, uh, with all the disparagement of a certain region that we've done, or at least mocking or making fun of, you know, in good faith, obviously, <laughs> we're gonna ha we're gonna have to go there and actually say how we really feel about it, because um, we're not as down on it. Uh, we're not as down on Napa Valley as we actually make it seem like we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's just an easy target. It's an easy target. Um, it's oftentimes an expensive target. Um, but I'm not ready for Napa because it's, I think it's going to be a lot of, a lot more research. <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, so it is national sake month and Friday, last Friday was national sake day. Um, and it was actually right. I did this event with the W, um, SCT, um, a good friend of mine, uh, Marina, uh, Giordiano. Uh, who does sake and the Koji Club, which is this cool sake bar that's going to be opening up uh, within the month. We had about 200, 250 people come to this event um, to drink sake. It was really cool. So I don't know. I, if you wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind going to Let's do it. Japan. Let's do it. All right. Let's, uh, so we'll go, to, we'll go to Japan next. I wish I knew how to say cheers in Maori. I don't, um, but I can say it in Japanese, which is kampai. Um, awesome. Well, any final any final thoughts? No, I'm good. You good? <laughs> <laughs> I've already, already said it, man. Let's let's uh, let's lead out with Sisters Underground and a little bit of in the neighborhood. It's... <laughs> 
Motown almost sounds like tree swing. It does. You know? It's, uh, I, I heard the song a couple weeks ago and I was like, I've heard this song, I've listened to the song so many times in the last, last two weeks. In fact, actually, after we recorded the last one, that night, I was already trying to find music for, for this one. And it took me about an hour and I really wanted to, I really wanted to find Maori hip hop. Um, because hip hop's an area that I don't really know very much. Um, and although I got to, you know, go to these places, it's still, in many ways, New Zealand is still an undiscovered area, you know. And I hope the background noise wasn't, wasn't too bad. I had to move at a certain point. No. <laughs> it was really distracting. I'm like starting to listen to conversations of people going by. I can see I'd be a problem for you, but I'd be a problem. No, okay. I thought one woman was going to break up with her husband. She was talking to her friend, Colonel. And, um, and uh, I was really interested in, in what they were saying, so I stopped listening to, to what you were saying at a certain point. So we should have totally have done more. More, uh, maybe I should have opened up with Maybe I'll, what I'll do is I'll fade this out and then fade it in with your welcome. Yeah. Yeah. That might work. Hopefully we'll get you to buy Disney. They might ask to take it down. They were done And I think especially because uh, no one listens, so 